Welcome to the fifth quarter. Conversations beyond the X and O's with your hosts, Layson Perkins and Jeff Osterman. Join the journey as they learn from coaches, authors, military leaders, successful entrepreneurs, business people, and motivators. Tonight, we have a fantastic guest who's going to share a lifetime of experiences, not only to help you in the workplace, but to help you as a person. Neil Woodson's a husband, father, he's been a teacher, service coach, best-selling author of The Uncomplicated Coach, which we can't wait to jump on. But I honestly believe this, his best accolade may be that he is a kind and generous person who really wants to make a difference. And, and Layson, we're, we're so fortunate to have him, and uh, I know you're excited. But Neil, maybe take a quick time out and, and tell us about your journey. Well, that's a long journey. Um, and I'll try to give you the short version. Um, you know, I, and this, it's going to sound funny, but I actually started working when I was 15 years old. And when I started working, I worked for my uncle, and my uncle owned a warehouse and did, you know, unloading trucks and things like that. And I thought, well, it's my uncle. But as it turns out, my uncle was a bear. He was kind of, I don't want to say ruthless, but he was one of those, you know, I don't care if you're my, my, my nephew or not, you're going to work your butt off and I'm not going to make it easy for you. So I learned. Uh, some lessons right there in leadership, you know, and, and management and what's good and bad. Um, but anyway, from there, you know, I went to college and stuff. And, and then I, I got a job when I was getting my master's degree working in a restaurant. And I worked as a, as a uh, dishwasher. And then I moved into working in the bar. And I worked as a bar back and then as a bartender and then a head bartender. And then I became a bar manager. And, and uh, working through all those ranks, you see a little bit of everything. And you learn so much about different people and what they have to go through and what they have to deal with. And from there, uh, I moved to, I live in Baltimore, Maryland and, uh, worked in a restaurant here. Then I got a job working in, uh, for a forklift company of all things as a minister as in the uh, sales administration, learned about business, kind of cut my teeth in business. And then I, uh, got a job teaching and I taught in a, in a high school. And I was a band director <laughs> for several years. I also worked at the, taught at the college level, uh, taught various things. And um, then my wife got pregnant and she said, with our second child, and she said, it's about time you get a job where you have benefits and all those good things. And so I fell into the world of uh, doing AV work in the hospitality industry. And I did that for 20, I'm still doing that, still working in that industry. Um, and have done that for 22 years, going on actually going on 25 years. But um, in all that time, I've I've just done a ton of different things, and I've had teams, led teams, um, large and small. Uh, did have done a better part of my work has been done teaching um, and coaching people um, in leadership and coaching and in service. So I would say the bulk of my thinking revolves around service in one way, shape, or form. So I don't know if that's the story you wanted, but that's the story you got. So. No, that's the best. I just want to jump in. Neil, there, there's so many leaders now that do as I say, 
not what you see or what uh, you think should happen. So meaning, hey, this is what I want. I want you to sell, 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 and I want you to do it with integrity and put the customer first. But you know as an employee the way that business is run, there's not integrity. How do you, as an employee, how do you work for a leader like that? I think it's difficult to work for a leader like that because for one, I would say that's poor leadership. Um, But let me give you a story. Um, And when when my kids were little, my son played lacrosse. He's played since he was five. He's 24 now. And um, we were trying to find a field for a lacrosse tournament over in Ocean City, Maryland. And Ocean City is very difficult. You drive down roads and there's signs hanging everywhere and wires everywhere. And it's, it's just difficult to find streets. And I'm driving and I start saying a few words that I shouldn't say. And my daughter and my son are sitting behind me in the back seat. And my daughter chimes in and she says, Daddy. And I turned around. And I said, Hannah, I'm, I'm driving. I'm trying to find this field. She said, Daddy, you've told us never to say words like that. And all of a sudden, that little angel appears on one shoulder and the devil appears on the other. And you have to decide how you're going to handle that. And I decided in that moment to pull the car over. And I turned around and said, Hannah, you're absolutely right. And I'm absolutely wrong. And I said, you should call me out every single time for that. Moral of the story, if you, you've got to walk your talk. If you want to lead anybody with any kind of integrity, it's all about walking your talk. You can't go out and say it and not do it. You can't, you've got to be it if you want people to, if you want people to, if, you've got to do the job if you want people to see it, do it themselves. So, that's what fails so many times, I, in my opinion, in so many leaders, is they talk a big game, but they don't actually do it. And I, I have said it myself. To go out and say, uh, do as I say, not as I do, is a very, very poor leadership philosophy. And it never works. You will never get the results that you're really looking for with that. Happy to say my daughter called me out, has called me up a million times since then. Um, and she continues to at times, but, um, that was a great lesson for me, you know, that my daughter picked up the mantle of leadership at that moment and said, daddy, you've got to walk your talk. And that, that was huge for me as a parent. Neil, when you're coming across leaders and it could be an age thing, but old school leaders They just want bottom line results, sell more, do more, the whole thing. They didn't really care about employees' feelings. And they may have the sign that this is a family matters, work-life balance. The road, there's no coffee. Are things changing? Are leaders now realizing if I'm kind, if I truly care, Layson may sell more or produce more. Do you see that old school theory maybe changing? 
I think it is in certain quarters, but I think it still still holds court in many others, and possibly even in the majority, that the old way of thinking that the old pyramid system, that everything flows downhill, still works, um, when in fact, in many ways, it never really did work. Um, and I, I call that Taylorism. If you go back to the early 1900s, um, Frederick Winslow Taylor, who wrote uh, about scientific management, and he, he really tried to set up a system where uh, you could treat people like a machine. And that doesn't work. For one, you can't control people. And that is the big difference between management and leadership, right? I mean, if you've read any Stephen Covey, you know, you, know, you, you manage things and you lead people. And it's true. I mean, if, and I think Layson, I, I believe Jeff, and I know you do, you have children, Layson, you have children. And anybody that has a child realizes very quickly you cannot control people. The best you can do is try to uh, influence them and inspire them. Um, and it's simply because people have their own minds and they can make their own choices. I mean, you can put a dozen people in a room and say, all I want you to do is walk down that hallway and there's going to be at least one of those people that says, I'm going to find a better way. I'm going to do it different. I've got my own mind. Or who will sit down and say, no, I'm not doing it. And that's just human nature. Um, so the best leaders figure out ways to inspire. And, and so that old system of we're going to lead by control and fear, you know, we're going to use this, you know, the carrot and stick doesn't work. What people want and what people really need, they want to be involved and they want to take ownership and they want to, they want to be appreciated for what they do and they don't need to be beat. They need to be helped. And, and that's and I think today we're really seeing that come to to, to the fore. Yeah, um, you're seeing uh, people who are deciding. You know what? I'm going to find a job that really suits me, or I'm going to work from home because I work better from home. You know, and if the job is the right kind of job for that, fine, stay at home. I, that's me. I, I don't care where you work. Um, but I do see some of it changing, but I see some people really sticking hard to those old school ways, thinking, you know, you've got to watch people. You, people can't be trusted. Well, if you don't trust people, they're never going to trust you either. You know, it's, so, that, so that's kind of the way I see it. I could ramble on for an hour about that. No, Neil, I, I think you're spot on. <clears throat> this can apply to you as a teacher, a uh, a father, a boss, but there are leaders that say, I have an open door policy. If there's anything wrong, you know, come in and meet me. Or you tell your child, hey, here's a puzzle. Good luck. Solve it. Does it make sense for leaders to forget my door's always open and go down to the basement? Like you said, you started as a dishwasher and learned so much more. But I think leaders that just sit up there and say, yeah, come on in if you got a problem, where be proactive as a parent, as a teacher, as a leader, and go down the ladder and go meet and stop the elevator at everybody's floor. Is that a concept that would work? I think, it ha I think it's a necessity. One, because nobody knows what's going on better than those folks. Nobody knows what's better or, or what's going on with customers, 
more than the people that touch customers. Nobody knows what's happening with the machines that are in your plant than those employees. Nobody knows accounting better than the people in accounting. And for you to sit in your office and wait for them to show up to you is ridiculous. You need to proactively go out and learn from them and listen and then and, and let them tell you, here's what's wrong and we have ideas to fix it. And usually they're good ones. Because think of it this way. If, if there's a process that's broken and so I, and you've got two or three people and they said, yeah, this process is broken, but we have an idea to fix it. Do you think that their idea is going to make it harder for themselves? They're going to do something that may actually makes it easier, more efficient, better. There are a hundred reasons why you should just listen and say, yeah, let's, let's figure this out. Let's, let's do this. Let's make this happen. Those are the people. And to me, you're, you're making your life harder as a leader by not doing it. So. Neil, I once read in a, a, a book by General Stanley McChrystal about leadership that there were over 230 definitions of leadership, mm-hmm. you know, in various books and in publications. How do you define leadership? Well, that's a big question. And I, <laughs> You know, I've run this through the mill several times, and I think it, it has a few pieces to it. First, I think people like to flower up their language, and they like to come up with definitions that are, you know, have lots of big words and sound really impressive. Um, and I don't think that's necessary. So I'll first answer it this way. First, what is a leader? A leader simply is someone people follow. That's it. Now, I'm not telling you what a good one is or a bad one is. I'm just saying that is what a leader is. And when you ask me what is leadership, i.e., how do they do it and why do they do it, I would say a leader is leadership is moving people to move a mission forward. So how do they do it? They move people. Why do they do it? Because they got to move a mission forward. That's what's necessary. And I'll... I mean, you're both sports coaches, and you know what the mission is. Let's let's score more points than the other team, right? Ultimately, right? If you're in the military, there's a there's a mission. We got to take the hill. If you're in business, we we we've got to we we've got to make X amount of money so that we can pay our bills and yada yada yada. Right? Everybody has missions that they're on, and to, you've got but you've got to move people to move those missions. Now, to go with that, I would say the best thing a leader can do is to help everybody. It's a part of that mission, help them succeed. If you can help people succeed, it's much more likely that the mission will succeed. Everybody's got their role. Everybody's got, everybody's got their piece. And I'll talk about football quickly because football positions are easy to talk about, right? But if every single person, every single person in a play has a specific job, left tackle, maybe he's got a block the guy to the left. Center's got to block the guy to the right to open up that hole for the running back to run through. Quarterback's got to hand it off. Timing's got to be perfect, right? But everybody's got a specific job. And But if everyone succeeds in that job, you're going to make some yardage. You're going to move the ball down the field. And that, to me, if a good leader is about making their helping their people succeed. Thus, leadership is a service role. Now, not a servant role, 
but a service role. Because there's, when we typically, and I don't like the term servant leadership, because servant leadership typically suggests that I am subservient to someone. But I don't see it that way, because I think there's a difference between being in service of someone and being of service to someone. When you are in service of someone, that's, that's a role. That's a, you know, I'll go do whatever you want me to do. But to be of service to someone means I'm bringing value to you. And bringing value to your team is I'm going to help you succeed. I'm going to get obstacles out of the way, and I'm going to cheer you on. So that's the longest definition you've ever heard of leadership. But I had to break it into those pieces. No, I think it's I think it's spot on, and uh, it's very interesting that you talk about the different, you know, the definition of servant leadership because often a lot I think a lot of leaders will throw that out. Are there a level five leader like Jim Collins talked about right. in, in Good to Great? But again, it, it just it, like you said, it comes down to basically kind of like what Dr. Covey talks about is that you know leadership is clearing the path. You know, mm-hmm. you're clearing the path so that your people can be successful. So your book, Uncomplicated Coaching. You know, a fable of a, of a business. How do we complicate it? How do how do leaders complicate it and and, and do not and 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 manage versus coaching? Well, I think what spurred me on to write about that was one. My wife kept saying, "You write a book. You always talk about writing a book. Just write it." So, um, and one of the things I was uh, thinking about was the fact that every book that I ever read on lead, on coaching made it so complicated. You know, there were multiple steps and there was all this psychological stuff and there was all this, you know, um, you know, you have to do this and you have to set the right mood and you have to do all these things. I'm like, no busy manager on the planet is, has time for any of that. What they want is something simple. And I've had, I've had many a manager come to me and say, how do I coach my team? How do I help them do? So I came up with a model. A really, really simple model. And not to give the book away, but I will, a little bit of it. And that is, the model is based on three questions. Now, there are some questions that you can pull out of there, but it's three questions. And the first one is, you know, somebody comes and says, I'm having a problem with this. And he said, well, what do you think the real problem is? What do you think is at the root of that? What's causing it? And they might say five or six different things. What do you think the most impactful thing? What do you think the biggest thing is that's a problem there? X. Okay. Second question, well, what would make it better? What would help to fix it? And they might give you something and you say, well, what else? Give me more. And you just keep going until you get a bunch of things on the table. And you find, well, which one of those is going to make the most impact? Well, that's a, that's a big deal. Okay. Great. How can I help you? What can I help you do? What are you going to do? to make it happen. Then they start putting the cards on the table. So, well, I can do this, this, and this, and I need your help doing this. Great. And I'm going to help you. Simplest coaching method ever, but I've used it and I've had other people use it and come back to me and say, wow, it really worked a charm. And and the cool thing about it is it's them deciding and them coming up with things and they take ownership. People take ownership of things they create. They want to see it come to fruition which is better than, okay, I'm just going to tell you what to do. So, and you know that you're both coaches, you know, you, you know that once you show one of your 
team members, you show them what to do. You show them some technique or you show them something and they don't do it. And they come back and you say, okay, tell me what you did wrong or tell me what didn't happen. Tell me what you think could be better. What are you seeing from your vantage point? Right. And then they tell you, and what you're trying to do is to get them to think for themselves so that they can think in real life better themselves. And I think that's what any good coach does. So that's the essential nature of the book. It takes me 175 pages to, to go through all that, but there's some quirks and tweaks and little things in there, but essentially that's it. And the idea was how can we uncomplicate this and make it something that somebody can go in and in 10 minutes, they can help somebody just do that much better. So. No, that's huge. No, that, that is huge. And, and when I read that part, I'm, I'm a big Ted Lasso fan. And the first thing that jumped, you know, out to me was basically just the first couple episodes when he joined, you know, he joined the club, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to, you know, to build those relationships. He puts the suggestion box out, you know, and then they, you know, Roy's in the shower and suddenly notices the shower pressure, you know, is working. And so now, you know, he's, he's, he's winning them over. And I think the temptation always is for any leader, any coach who walks into a new situation is to think, I've got all the answers. I just need to impress them and blow them away with my knowledge versus, hey, let me just humble myself here and start asking a lot of questions and making sure that I, you know, I can, I get kind of the, the pulse of what's going on here and start determining, okay, what do I have the power to solve? What, you know, what do I have? What am I going to need help with? Is, I, is, I'll is never that, forget, you, you know, you're, you're, you're describing something that I experienced in a big way. I was in this meeting with, uh, for this company. Um, and it was, I was leading a little workshop for the senior vice presidents of this company. And I'm a little nervous because I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not a senior vice president. <laughs> you know? And so I'm, I, we're going to town and I start doing my thing and in walks the CEO and sits down right in front of me. Oh my gosh. Now what? So I ask a question and I kept asking a question and these guys are hitting me with answers and none of them are what I'm looking for. And I looked at the CEO and he looked at me and he looked at everybody and he said, you know, all of you guys need to just listen to the real question because you're not hearing the question. And it just taught me such a big lesson as I want to follow that guy. As he sat there, he didn't say a word and he just paid attention. He really listened. I want to follow him. All you other guys, you're just trying to impress everybody. That's the guy I want to follow. That's why you're CEO, I guess, right? So, I mean, I learned a really big lesson from that for myself. You know, shut the hell up and listen sometimes, which is a, a big deal. You know? And listen to the people around you because, like I said earlier, those are the people that usually have all the answers, not you. Yeah. Neil, advice for leaders that – or building relationships and trust, which we all agree is so important. But now you have a curveball called COVID, and everything is changed. So relationships have totally changed. So now you and I have to have a relationship, but it's over Zoom. What? How do leaders try to connect and build that relationship over Zoom when your employees aren't coming in and now... They can be successful, but to hit the highest level, you have to connect with their heart, but it's over a computer screen. How do they get past that? 
Well, a few things came to mind while you were saying that. The first one was that I don't think relationships have changed. I think they've always been this way. I don't, I don't think the screen matters. At least it doesn't for me. Jeff, I've never met you in person. We've never shook, shaken hands, none of that. We have, we've had one phone call and a few emails, but I, I, I definitely feel like we're as good of friends as we could have been friends 15 years. I agree. I, but I'm an easy one, Neil. I'm an easy, I'm a relationship. I trust you from the start. Right, but right. there are some employees that their guards up because they worked for a lousy company. They were treated like crap. And now I'm working for Neil, my new leader. How are you going to knock things down? Because I believe that Zoom has led to more clock punchers that I clock in, I clock out. I'm an easy one, but let's say Layson's the tough one. How do you connect? What what secrets or tips that you can use? I'm going to go back to what we've talked about all along. Uh, first, you got to walk your talk. Uh, you, you've got to make it clear this is who I am. And if you truly care about people and you care about uh, caring about people, then you're going to be proactive. Going back to what we talked about a minute ago, you've got to be proactive. You've got to take time and say, look, I'm going to do one-on-ones with my team. And Layson, you're my, you're my kind of hard-ass guy that I, you know, and I'm going to have to break that ice with you, but we're going to do it. And we're going to have that one-on-one, but I have to walk that talk. I've got to be the one that says, dude, I care about you and I care about everybody on this team. And that's not just talk. And when, so when Layson has something happen in his life and he says, okay, this is your chance to walk the talk, you better damn well do it. You've got to walk that talk. You've got to be that person that says, okay, I'm shutting down everything and I'm listening. I'm going to sit here and we're going to talk. You know, uh, I, I'll never forget. I had, uh, I was running a team in a hotel and, and one of my team members, he came in and he said his mother had passed away and he was there at work. You know, he came in work and he said, my mom passed away. I said, okay, first of all, why are you here? He said, well, I mean, I got to work. I said, no, you don't. I said, you go, go. And he, I live in Baltimore, and this was in Baltimore. And his his mom lived in North Carolina. I said, "Go to North Carolina." He said, "Well, I only got like three days of vacation." I said, "I don't care. You take as much time as you need. You go be with your family, and you go with your, be with your mom. We'll figure this out. That's what this team is about." Now, what was cool from that is when he came back, he gave more than his all for the rest of the time that I knew the guy. And he, when my dad died, he was there and he said, we've got your back. You go and be with your family and you stay as long as you need to, and we'll take care of you. So it's all about walking the talk and, and, and truly showing that you do care for people and that it's, that that's not just talk, that that that's real. You know, and that's, I think, something we miss in the workplace. All these people who, who walk through, who say, you know, leave your emotions at the door, you're out of your mind. You can't leave your emotion. We don't become different at work than we are anywhere else. We're human beings. We are emotional creatures and we need relationships. And these people say, business isn't a family. Why not? My team, every team that I ever ran, I treated like my family. I have a guy that I that I let go 
after 9-11 because we had, we had to let some people go. And, and they came to me and said, Neil, who, who you want to let go? And I said, well, this guy. I said, I hate it, but we're going to let this guy go. The reason I let him go was largely because he needed to be let go. He needed to find his way. He needed, he needed to go. And he was using that job to keep him from doing other things. Well, to this day, we're still friends. We communicate with each other at Christmas time. He, he lives on the other side of the country, but he comes back to this side of the country to, to be with his mom. And when he's in town, he calls me and says, Hey, let's go out to lunch. And I let the guy go, but he knew I cared about him. And he knows to this day, I still care about. Him. So this idea that we're not emotional, we shouldn't be emotional at work. Baloney. You, know, you, you if you, if you build a team that loves each other, and I think you can love each other. I'm not afraid to say the word love at work. You can love each other and have great relationships and work tight together. And you can achieve more than I would say anybody else. But Neil, aren't, aren't one-on-ones, I, I thought that was when I, you know, we get together and you basically, it's an inquisition on, on why I didn't hit my numbers this month. And, you know, why aren't I hitting these certain metrics? I thought that's what one-on-ones were. I'm being sarcastic here. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what I think one-on-ones. I think one-on-ones are a chance to, for, for us to create a relationship, to create more relationship. It's a chance to coach, of course. I mean, and it's a chance to look over and say, okay, what's going on? But I think it's a bigger chance for the leader to turn around and say, not only what's going on, how are you doing? But when I say, how are you doing? I don't just mean, well, how are you doing? How many sales have you made? I mean, how's Molly, your daughter? How's... How's your wife doing? And I, you know, I know you told me your mom was sick not too long ago. Is she better now? That's important. That stuff matters. We can talk about your numbers, but you're not going to hit your numbers unless some of that other stuff gets taken care of. And when you know that I've got your back in that way, I, I have to say, I mean, I had teams that were with people that would live and die for me. And I would for them. And that's worth everything. Yeah. That's so. secret sauce. That, uh, that it's so simple. Again, you, it's uncomplicated if you will, but I truly believe listening, empathy, they're, they're lost. People don't get it anymore. And it's, Hey, Lyson, how you doing? And I'm not even listening. It's like, great. Okay. Let's move on to the meeting. He didn't even answer the question of, Hey, how you doing? Even if I didn't mean it, I didn't even give them a chance. Well, I'm a, I'm a big proponent, and it, this sounds a little silly, but when I send emails, I, I try never to start an email with the business. At minimum, I start the email with good morning, good afternoon, you know, hope you had a great weekend, something that's not about that, that, that just gives that little tiny bit of human quality to the thing, you know? And then, you know, okay, about this thing, blah, 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 blah. But somewhere in there at the beginning, at the start, I want to make it clear. This isn't just, I, I care that you're having a good morning. I care that you had a good weekend. Um, I've made that a habit. So, and I think we miss that a lot. I mean, business is human. There's no way you can do business without humans. It just doesn't work. And there's only one reason we do business in the first place, and that's to help each other. That's it. You can't name a business anywhere 
is, isn't in business to help people do something. And people forget that thing. No, my business is here to make money. You don't make money unless you help people. If you don't help anybody do anything, you won't be in business for very long. Is humans come first, making money comes second. There's no way around that. And until we prioritize it that way, we're going to struggle. I've been reading, interestingly enough, I read a book uh, recently called Compassionomics by uh, Stephen Tresiak and Anthony Mazzarelli, and they're two doctors up in Philly, in the Philly area. And one of the things that they found was that uh, compassion, which is an extension of empathy, empathy being uh, feeling the feelings of others, essentially. Compassion being not only understanding those feelings, but the desire to take action. And what he found was, and he did researched uh, like 250 studies on compassion. And what he found was an amazing number of health benefits of being compassionate. Lower blood pressure, faster healing, less heart disease, just, an, and there's a, there's a list uh, of different kinds of health benefits. So I'm reading, they just wrote a second book called Wonder Drug, and it's about the power of helping people, the power of service. And it's fascinating, just the number of health benefits, literal health benefits to just being helpful to others, just going out and just little things, not mammoth things, not, you know, spending the rest of your life, you know, wearing a sheet and helping out at homeless kitchens. It's, it's little things like holding the door for somebody or just waiting a little extra or getting up and letting somebody take the seat in the subway, just little things that if we regularly do, then we see health benefits amazing and we're actually wired for it uh read a book recently a couple weeks ago finished a book called humankind and in this book this guy actually talks about the fact that we are literally wired to be of service to others that's how we're built we're not built to compete we're not built to fight against each other we are built to help each other and when we do it things go smoother and run better. And so I'm all for that. I'm all for all of that, you know? So. No, I, I love it. And I really do deep thinking of how I can show appreciation to other, but this was a simple, I sit on a board and they invited me and reminded me we had our breakfast. So I replied, yes, I will attend. And the person that sent it replied with, thank you. Usually you just reply and it's the end of our correspondence. So now, even on business emails, I respond with thank you. And, and really, you took time, maybe you were told, maybe it was your job, but a simple thank you. Neil Layson and I had this on one of our 10-minute takeaways recent, and it could apply to coaching, it could parenting, I hope. There's only one answer, but leadership, let's say, would you rather be feared as a coach or loved? I have to say loved. Um, I don't think you buy yourself much with fear. It's a sh very, very short-term thing. Uh, and, and if you're a parent, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, the fear thing, um, I'm going to kill you. 
you're not going to do that first of all unless you're crazy and um it just doesn't work i want my kids to love me right. now it doesn't mean that i but love and this, i gotta put an asterisk on that love takes more many forms um there is i do believe there is something called tough love I think sometimes you've got to say no and it's for your own good. It's because I love you that I am saying no. It's because I love you that I want to teach you need to learn a lesson. Sometimes the best love of all is okay, you made a mistake. You got to clean it up and it's going to be hard work. This is not going to be easy, but that's because I love you. But I think in the long term, you're loved more because of that. So my answer, simple answer yes, love. We were on that same page, Lason and I both, and he kind of related it to old school coaches, but we both brought up stories of playing for that coach that you love that you don't want to let down. Yes, there is tough love, and sometimes if I truly love you, I do have to say no, that I can't let you do that because of based experiences and things like that. But Neil, the word change, it has for many, a negative connotation. But you deal with people and leaders that you've asked to change. Did they initially view it as something negative and then they have the aha moment? Um, I would have to say almost everybody views change as negative at first. Um, there are, even those people say, oh, no, I love change. I don't think so. Human nature is such that change is not something we like. I, I always, I tell people in classes and things all the time, we love the big comfy couch. You know, don't make me get up from the big comfy couch. And so I think the thing you have to do is figure out how do you make change beneficial to the person you're talking to? Um, you can't, to go in, I, the thing that never worked for me when I was a, you know, a, a manager with the big M title of manager, um, to go in and say, okay, we're making this big change, and it was really only beneficial to the company, that was tough. Nobody wanted to do that. But when you came in and said, okay, we're going to make this change, here's kind of what's going to make your life better. Oh, okay. It's going to make it easier. It's going to make it more efficient. It's going to do this. It's going to blah, blah, blah. It's, you might make, you're going to, it's going to help you make your bonus. Whatever it is, when you make it beneficial to the, to the other, whoever the other is, change becomes more, you open the door. Let's put it that way. You open the door to, okay, I'm willing to listen. Let's talk about it. And then if they have some ability to have involvement in it and say, could we tweak it? Could I do it a little different? Could I do it a little bit this way? Okay, let's let's investigate that. Then you open the door more, right? And then you allow now they they're taking more ownership of it. And I think that's when we talk about change. That, to me, those have been the best ways to get people to to make changes. Neil, I want to stay on the word bonus you said to make your bonus. Do you think individual incentives always work or are they team? Can I give you a different incentive than Lason? Because now in the workplace, there's he's resentful. If it's if it's baseball and I'm giving you a sweet every time we're on the road and Lason's in a double, 
How do you handle motivating people with bonuses or with incentives? I think it. I think when you set up bonuses in a way that it makes people compete against each other, you're working at cross purposes. You cannot provide great service to customers if you're not if everybody in your organization doesn't play nice in the sandbox. You just can't. Um, so what I recommend and what I tell people all the time is. Why do you have a bonus that rewards this person for hitting a number? Why don't you say the entire team has to hit, everybody on the team has to hit this number. So if you surpass it, then go help the guy who hasn't hit that number. Because when he does, you serve to benefit. Everybody benefits if you help each other. If you don't, then you won't get it. So I did that. Is that, was that clear? No, it's crystal. And I loved your example. And maybe it's the Christian in me. Go help somebody else. You made it. Or if it's military in the obstacle course, you went over the wall, you made it. But now go help someone else. And, and it's all about the team, if it's sales, if it's something. But your example, I love, I would steal that, hey, we all got a bonus. The bonus is, you know, X amount of dollars in sales. But the only way you're getting it is if we all make it. Well, that's not fair. Oh, no, it's super fair because now we're really a family and we're invested. Now we're a team. Now we're a team. And by the way, Jeff, if you do use that, I get a quarter every time you talk about (laughs) it. I was was going to give him a dollar, but. (laughs) And we got it on record, so can't can't argue in court now. No, but but you see that in the military. You see that that you see when those guys do those obstacle courses, and the guy that jumps over first, what's he doing? He's helping the other guys get over. I mean, think of it this way: if they were in battle, it's not going to do much good if you get over the wall and none none of your team does, and they all get killed. Now you're all now you're all alone. Good luck. It only benefits you to help the rest of the team over. Get them over the wall. Help them do. You know, that's how we build a team. And that's the kind of team that will serve your customers the best. Not all the guys that are competing against each other. I don't want that. To me, that's like saying, okay, you're a parent and you walk into your house every day and you scream at your kids. Would you be at all surprised if they went out on the playground and screamed at all their friends? That's what they see at home. That's what they're going to do on the playground. So we need to be doing in our workplaces what we expect people to do with the customers. We should be helping each other the same way that we're helping customers. That just seems natural to me. Neil, whose responsibility is it to start this change in in the paradigm of of leading and coaching? Is it the CEO? Is it the company level or is it the individual? Okay. Again, I'm going to answer this two ways. In the perfect world, it would be at the top. It would be the it would be the CEO who begins to model those behaviors because that's a quick spread typically, and that person has the power to say, if you don't get on this ship, you get off. However, I am a realist and I understand that that doesn't work everywhere, um, and it there's plenty of people who don't buy in. Do I think that? the guy who runs or the gal who runs a sales, a sales team in 
Paducah, Kentucky, that they can't lead differently? Absolutely. You can do that. At the individual level, go and lead your team. Because here's what happens, and I've seen it. Someone will go and they'll lead their team, and, and that team will be on fire. And they'll hit their numbers. They'll exceed their numbers. And everybody on the team wants to kill and die for each other, as well as the leader. And they, they're just gangbusters. And some leader over their head sees that and says, what are they doing? What's going on over there? And before you know it, they say, I want to... I want you to do a little workshop on, on leadership and how you're leading your team. And before you know it, his whole division is now working on that and they're leading that way. And then somebody higher up sees that and says, what are they doing? And the same thing, it just starts to, it just starts to run that way and it grows. It's, and I hate to use this term, but it's a virus, right? Um, and I've seen it actually work. So, Yes. Do I think individuals can make a difference? Absolutely. Uh, do I think it, it works best if it comes from the top? Yes, in a perfect world. But we don't live in that. So. What can an individual contributor or a, I guess, you know, above the line, below the line, what can that, that worker who sees potential sees the, the, the challenges, what can they do to maybe express their desire to, to affect change or to, to, you know, to move the company or move their department or their division towards, you know, a, a leadership model like this, what would you suggest? So you're talking about a foot soldier. Yes, exactly. Um, I think they have to, that's the kind of person who has to step up and have a conversation with the leader, the, the titled leader. And I use that term because um, I think anybody can be a leader. I think when somebody steps up in the way you're describing, they are trying, they're leading. They're, and they can, they step up and they go talk to their leader and say, I have some ideas and I have some thoughts. I know we have a couple of problems and I have a couple of thoughts on maybe on possible solutions. Does that mean they're going to be hurt? Maybe not, but I can guarantee one thing. If they don't do it, nothing will happen. And if they do do it, something could happen. And you never, you just never know. Um, are they, are they taking a risk? Yep. They are leadership in any way, shape or form includes risk. Um, it's, 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 it's third and one and you're on the 40 on the other team's 40, you could kick a field goal or you can go for it, but time's running out. You don't make it. You lose the game. You took a risk. You never know if you don't. So I know that's easy for me to say. I mean, you know, I, I, if you're fighting to put food on the table, I know you have to really think about that. So I'm not being unrealistic or no, no, but you, you, but you said, you, you said something. I think it's important. I think that when you have that conversation, hopefully it's, it's in an environment where there's a psychological safety where, you know, you, you can, you can discuss that, but you're not just coming in and just being the complainer. You're coming in saying, look, here's the problem, but here's, here's the answer, or here's what I believe. Well, and you do it answer. respectfully. Yeah, you do it respectfully. You, you, you go in and say, hey, I know we have a couple of problems, and you've spoken about them all, several times, and I've been thinking about it. I, I've got a couple of ideas. I'd like to help you succeed. Again, 
when you talk about things in terms of how it's going to benefit somebody else, not yourself, this is not about me. I want to help you succeed. I want to help our team succeed. That's lead- That's great leadership. Great. Step up. Be that guy. Go in. Now, that, the boss might be a jerk and turns around and says, I don't want to hear from you. Okay. But you gave it a shot. And you'll keep giving it a shot. Keep, keep pressing. Keep going. Keep, keep trying. At some point, if that point of pain continues to be a point of failure, that leader's probably going to come to you and say, okay, give me those two ideas because now I'm at wit's end. So, Are they bringing in another leader that's going to, you know, you know, have maybe a different mindset? And, you know, as we know, the leaders and coaches are replaced usually 99% of the time for one reason and one reason only. It's because the other person couldn't get the job done. Yeah. Or they're just a jerk or whatever. Or they said the wrong thing, the wrong person. But, you know, I think, I think people need to step up as leaders whenever possible. I don't, I don't think people understand that leadership is not about the hat you wear. I mean, you're both coaches. You're both, you both stand on the, on the sideline and stuff happens. Would you both admit that there are team members that in the course of play step up as leaders at all different points of the game? Oh, no doubt. And, and, and I, I think Jeff and I would both agree that the best teams are the player-led teams. And, and that's where, you know, if anything, my job as a coach is, like you said, I'm clearing the path for them to be successful. And if it's a situation where they're not sure what to do or how to handle it, that's where I come in. But 99% of the time, hey, y'all figure it out. You know, y'all, you know, I'm trusting y'all to take care of this. Or you know what needs to be done. I, I trust you. We're going to get it done. Jeff, yeah, is that? I mean, no, that that's resonate? fair. I like even creating those situations of in practice, you know, one-point game last possession of saying, and they come over and you got the board and they're looking at you with big eyes. Uh, okay, coach. I go, sorry, I feel sick. I'm out. You guys figure it out. I want to listen. And you see who speaks up. Is it Neil? Is it Layson? Okay. And then afterwards, Neil, you decided to run number two. Layson and the rest of the team wanted to run blue. Why, you know, and you learn about people, and if it works, you kind of know who they listen to, and it's good and bad. You learn who they're going to follow, and you better make sure that there's not a locker room lawyer situation. You know you have to have buy-in from certain players immediately because well, this is, they can make or break you. This is one of the things I, I talk about this in, in my book is, is that I define, I define coaching as helping people help themselves do more themselves. And um, one of the best, worst things a, a coach can do is say, is jump in and give advice constantly. One of the best things a coach can do is listen, 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 see if they're, and if they start heading in the wrong direction to say, may I make a suggestion? And everybody turns around and says, okay. You say, and you give your suggestion. And then you follow that with, what do you think? Let them make some decisions. Let them go. That's a great idea. We should do that. But to just jump in and say, here's what you have to do, they'll never think for themselves. And in the heat of the battle, I think you want them to think for themselves. So I think, you know, when we think about coaching that way, 
is how, how do we help the team on the field think while they're on the field, right? Rather than, you know, I'm just going to make every decision. You're never going to have a winning team that way. You just can't. So. No, that's great. Uh, definitely, Layson and I have our own sidebars about this. Coach Perkins, let's have some fun. Why don't you lead off with Neil? Yeah, yeah. So, Neil, um, like I mentioned to you before we came on, you know, I was looking at your list of book recommendations, and it, it pretty much is looks like my bookshelf here. So what would you say is the one book that you've gifted, besides your book, what is the one book that you have gifted the most to aspiring leaders? Um, I would say the book that I, well, if you were, if you were to come to me and say, what is a book that I just, I have to read, I would say it's a book called the outward mindset. Um, and it's not by an individual writer. It's by uh, a collective called the Arbinger Institute. Right. And it is, um, about how you or how we, most people think inwardly, we look at how things impact us and we think about ourselves first. And the outward mindset is to shift that to how do we think about what other people have to deal with um, and, and put those things into perspective. Um, and, it, and it was a hugely impactful for me. I, I, said, I read it down in Florida sitting on a beach and finished it. And I was like, I literally handed it to my wife. You said, you got to read this. Not because she's a bad person. She's a wonderful person, but just, you know, I, I do that periodically. You got to read this, you know, and people have asked me for a book and I say, you know what, uh, if there's a book that I think will can help change the ills of the world, that would be one of them. So. Uh, no, I, I would say all the books by Arbinger Institute are, are must reads. I mean, they're just, it's just great content. Actually, um, I have it sitting right here. There you go. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Uh, you mentioned earlier you, you were a band director uh, uh, at, a, at a school at one point. So what was your favorite piece to perform? Oh, um, wow. Um, favorite piece to perform? Um, that's a tough question. I can, I, all of a sudden, I'm just drawing a blank. That was not something I expected at all, Lacey. You got me. Um. I would say one of my favorite things to perform was either of the Holst military suites. Um, I think there's one in F and one in E flat and both of them are great. So hard, <laughs> difficult and difficult to get everybody together, but really great pieces. Okay. Weekend comes, uh, you and your friends or you and your family, are gathered together, what's on the grill, what's in the glass, and and I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I, we talked about this earlier, but I gotta get, I've got to add this now. After seeing your tweet, what's what's in the humidor? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, what's on the grill would be some fillets and some shrimp and scallops. Uh, what's in the glass would be Buffalo Trace. Either that or um, a good space-side single malt scotch whiskey. And there are a bunch of those. So, uh, What's in the humidor? 
Um, well, I told you right now I'm smoking uh, Rocky Patels, and I I don't smoke. I mean, I don't smoke like crazy. I smoke, you know, one on the weekends and that kind of thing. So I'm not a a, a, a crazy. You know, I don't smoke every day and all that. But um, right now I've got some Rocky Patel American Masters sitting in my humidor at the moment. Layson, we're going to interrupt this broadcast because we're going to Neil's house. I mean. <laughs> he- he knew the way to our hearts. And then we're going to watch Casablanca afterwards. Hey, I, that, I, like, I like that. That's one that's of a, my that's all a, time. Yeah, that's one of my all-time favorite movies. It's, the one, it's one movie that has everything in it. It's got love, intrigue, spies, war, it, you name it. It's, it's, it's got everything in it. It sure does. Neil, thought-provoking question. We go around the room, but pick a number between 1 and 65. I don't know why, but 64. All right. If you had a real-life Jiminy Cricket, what would he be telling you right now? Uh, Relax and trust the universe. Simple and great. Layson? (laughs) Ted Lasso's uh, favorite slogan, believe. Mine would be just value friends, new friends like Neil, old friends like you. To me, when we spoke about Neil on the porch with his buddies, just sharing stories after a golf, that's, that's to me, besides family, my happy place. All right, Neil, favorite golf club in your bag? What do you like to hit? What's your one club? Uh, my one club that I like to hit. When I hit it well, three wood. Now that's... You <laughs> prefaced it. Yeah, that's <laughs> I When I hit it well, three wood yeah. simply because it's just, wow. But that doesn't happen all the time for sure. Right. No, exactly. Okay, so now we have our fifth quarter top 25 Give us a number between 1 and 25. Oh, 19. Your favorite athlete growing up? Oh, my favorite athlete growing up? Kind of goes all over the place. Um, You know, I, I was fortunate in 1975 to live in southern Ohio, and I actually got to see the Big Red Machine. The first major league baseball game I ever went to was uh, the National League Championship Series, and it was the Reds uh, playing the Pirates. And um, I have to say my favorite player at that time was Pete Rose. And I got to see Don Gullett, a pitcher, hit a home run. And that's always been my defense. I'm, I'm, I don't like the designated hitter. And it's always been my, you know, wait a minute. I saw a pitcher hit a home run, you know? So anyway. That's great. All right. This is an or question. Cats or dogs? Uh, I really love both. But right now we actually, we have two cats. Okay. Um, but we've had, we've had everything. We've had lizards and snakes and, mice and you name it we've had all this stuff Lyson, remember how i said we were going to neil's house not if he has a snake no all we have is not going no all we have is two cats that's it 
Okay, so I can go. All right, last one. It's a yes or no. Do you believe in Bigfoot? No. Okay. <laughs> you were hoping for yes because you were you wanted that argument. You wanted I some sort gonna, of dialogue no, there, right? No, no. It was just a random one. And uh, Neil, this has been. Can so I much say I'd like to? I, I'd I'd like to believe course. in Bigfoot. I'm with you. I don't. But if Layson said, like, I've never met someone that said they've seen it. Like, if you or Layson said, hey, I, I saw it last night, then I might. But right now, I'm not. I'm a non-believer. But uh, this has been great. And, and I'll tell our listeners to, to follow you, learn from you, buy the book, The Uncomplicated Coach. Hire him to fix, help your team, whatever it is. Neil, maybe take a moment, tell our listeners how they can find you and everything else you have going on. Um, I, it's really easy to find me if you want to know more about, you know, and read stuff that I write and all that um, is uh, neilwoodson.net, N-E-A-L-W-O-O-D-S-O-1.net. Very, very simple. Uh, that's my website. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Neil Woodson, LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I usually connect with just about everybody. If you're not selling me something, I'll connect with you. Um, and I'm also on Instagram as well at Neil Woodson. So you can, um, connect with me and all any of those, follow me on all those. Um, I'm always posting interesting, intriguing things, uh, usually around the world of leadership and, uh, service, some form of service. So. Thank you. We've, I speak for Layson myself. It's just, thank you for sharing everything and the time has flown by and, we might, uh, we might appear on that back deck one day and bring our recorder, but this has been great. Neil, thank you again so much. And I really appreciate the opportunity. And my door is open, gentlemen. So if you're coming through this area, let me know, and we'll, we will uh, throw a couple of steaks on the barbecue. Well, you better throw something for Layson. I mean, uh... <laughs> he's going to be drinking my Buffalo Trace. <laughs> again, thank you, and have a great night. Thank you for listening to the fifth quarter conversations beyond the X and O's with your hosts, Layson Perkins and Jeff Osterman. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave comments on social media. 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 Media.